0: Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. I am host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Hope everyone is enjoying the NFL Combine this week. After this, it's going to be a little bit quiet around the NFL. Free agency will pick up. That'll be exciting. Then we'll have some quiet weeks ahead of the NFL Draft. But we got plenty to get you caught up on from this week. We'll start things off with the latest episode of Veatch Season. Rocky Maganya and the crew discuss some guys to watch at this week's NFL Combine. we still got plenty of action on Saturday and Sunday. After that, it's the Arrowhead Pride Editor's show. They discussed some of the best nuggets from Andy Reid and Brett Veach at this week's NFL Combine in Indianapolis. After that, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we get back, we'll wrap things up with the Arrowhead Pride Draft Room discussing their favorite prospects of the week.
1: That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. Let's get down to the meat and potatoes, boys. Let's Let's talk what everybody's been wanting to hear. They want to know the Combine's getting ready to start. The draft is coming up okay, who are the guys I need to have a lookout for? Not even necessarily the guys that, that the Chiefs might have a shot at. We're going to talk about that plenty. But who's the cream of the crop at some of the more premier positions in this draft? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to we're going to break down our top five at offensive tackle, edge rusher, and wide receiver. And we're each going to give our top five at these positions and then kind of go from there and kind of argue a little bit about, about our guys and why we have them ranked that way and kind of give you our reason and, our reason and rationale. Um, And so I'll, I'll start off the, the offensive tackle conversation Um, for me at number one on offensive tackle. I got Paris Johnson. I got Paris Johnson Jr. I think that he's the guy that has size length, the athleticism. Um, He's he's, he has plenty of reps under his belt at left tackle. I think he's the only guy um, outside of Broderick Jones that you could plug in at left tackle today and he could probably start meaningful reps in the nfl and Broderick jones is who i have as my number two guy and that's just because i really like his athleticism but the problem with Broderick jones is he does struggle with power sometimes and he gets popped back and he has to do some recovery and so there is some question marks there um so i got paris johnson jr number one at offensive tackle i got Broderick jones number two number three i got peter skaranski and it's the it's it's kind of been the same story with peter scrancy with anybody who knocks him down a little bit is that you just don't know about his arm length right mm-hmm. and we know with andy reed and brett Veach, if, if the arms aren't at least uh you know 33 and a half inches or that 34 inch mark they're not going to even touch them at tackle um argue it right wrong whatever you want there is some some logic to it when you have miles garrett coming at you off the edge when he looks like a freaking octopus with his huge tentacle arms trying to, you got to try to keep him out of your body, you know? Um, and so, so I got Peter, not not Peter Skronsky down to number three, even though technically speaking, he might be the most refined, most polished, um, you know, pass protector in the entire draft. You know, he's a guy who if his arms were longer, you could, you would project him to be a pro bowler. I think, I think he's technically speaking, he's very talented. Um, Number three, I got Darnell Wright just because I really like his size. Um, I I, I kind of, this year when I've been watching edge prospects, I've been trying to watch as many of the edge prospects against the Tennessee line as possible because I really like the Tennessee offensive line. I think that they develop good offensive linemen so that if an edge prospect has a good game against Tennessee, I kind of believe the production a little bit, right? And so that being said, I've seen a lot of top-flight edge rushers go against Darnell Wright, and his size just kind of swallows them up. He he, like whatever they try if they try to power rush him, it's almost like he's like flubber. He just absorbs that power rush and like doesn't budge. A lot of times now, there's some athleticism that he needs to get right. Um, They moved him from left tackle back to right tackle this year, which was his natural position. And so, you know, he didn't give up a single sack this year at right tackle. And so, I think that that he's a guy that you could almost plug and play at that right tackle position if the Chiefs decide that they do want to move on from Andrew Wiley. And that's probably the first offensive of linemen I've mentioned at this point that might be in that range for the Chiefs that they could draft him. Um, and then number five, I got Dewan Jones. And DeWan Jones is a guy who's just huge, right? He, we saw him at the Senior Bowl, and he was, he played, he, he literally showed up for one day, dominated, uh, just didn't let anybody buy him, just, just totally kicked butt, and then said, peace out, I'm gone, I'm not even going to play in the game, and disappeared and went home right and so dewan jones looked more athletic than i expected him to be he, he looked a lot like orlando brown jr but more athletic to me he had a little bit faster on the kick step back um didn't let people didn't wasn't playing catch up with the speed rush as much as i expected him to and so he really kind of impressed me and i wasn't expecting much out of him so maybe that's why i bumped him up so high is that he he, he, he surprised me and how well he performed in the one-on-ones at the senior bowl um so that's my top five offensive linemen. Um, Price, give me what you got and tell me why I'm wrong. Or why I'm right.
2: Well, I mean, I think, I think one thing that you're looking at here, just kind of looking at your top five as compared to mine, we don't have a lot of variance. So I think probably the biggest outlier between yours and mine is I'm a lot higher on Peter Skronsky than you are. I think part of the reason why I'm so high on Skronsky is because when I look at offensive line play, I want to look at the things that are repeatable and the things that are not as teachable. Um, Anytime I see a player with strength, play strength is one of the concerns, I consider that kind of a win because I think, you know, getting players in an NFL locker room on an NFL training plan and getting them where they're not worried about NIL and, um, you know, classes and those type of things, I think that that's a major strength of any NFL locker room, especially the Chiefs. when I look at Skronsky, the technician that he is, and also the position versatility, he has such a high floor that I just feel like any NFL team, like if you took him and he ended up starting at center for you, and you're a team picking at 13 or 21 or wherever he ends up going, I don't think you're going to regret it. And I do think that he has the position versatility to play all five positions. The arm length is a concern, but, uh, you know, There's been a lot of comparisons between him and and Rashawn Slater, who also came from the same school, played the same position. When you look at where Skronsky falls short, it's things that, you know, a lot of teams do value arm length, but there's been a lot of good players who have, you know, failed at that and still been good players. I know that this is, you know, a Chiefs-centric podcast, but when I look at him and look at kind of what his profile is, it reminds me of a lot of what Mitchell Schwartz used to do. Mitchell Schwartz was never the strongest player. Mitchell Schwartz was never the most aggressive player. He was never the most athletic, but he was the smartest player. And he just was able to study and, you know, counter every move that a edge rusher had on him. Now, with all that being said, W well, Paris Johnson is kind of like a prototype of the position. He's got insane wingspan, incredibly strong. Um, he's got great experience. The only thing that you're gonna talk about with him is just not a ton of experience at left tackle. This was his one season playing left tackle. He played guard a previous season before. But again, position versatility. Um the ones the, the two that I really have a hard time kind of deciding is between Broderick Jones and Dewan Jones. And yes, part of it is the names, right? But um, you know, I think looking at Broderick Jones the you know the Orlando Brown comparison really sticks out there I uh, I just I just wonder about with him how much is he going to be a compliment to what the Chiefs do um, he's a player that I, I could see being available available to them at 31 as far as how he fits in you know I love his mentality and how it would play next to Trey Smith if he's playing on the right side of the line. I, and one thing that I like about him, too, is that I like the ability of him to transition to left tackle if needed. So uh, I've got Skronsky, Johnson, Broderick Jones, Dewan Jones. And then I went a little bit different at number five. I've got Jalen Duncan at top five um, as my fifth player. To me, he just matches so much of what the Chiefs do well. The things that when I read through Jalen Duncan's profile, I, I get a lot of shades of Eric Fisher as far as like the athleticism, the strength in um, pass blocking. Now, the level of competition at Maryland's not quite as much as what, you know, Fisher was facing at Michigan State, I believe is where he went, correct? Am I dreaming of that? No, Central Michigan. Central Michigan, okay, whatever. Yeah. A directional Michigan, <laughs> excuse me. Um, but, you know, I, I, I look at Jalen Duncan and the athleticism, the experience he has at the position, I think that he's going to test as one of the better, most athletic tackles that they have uh, this year. I expect him to have a really great raw athletic score. That just screams Chiefs to me. And if they can get that guy at pick 31 or later, I love that for them. And, you know, I think that very, like, ideal tackle situation this year for me, you bring back Orlando Brown on the tag, you draft Jalen Duncan, you see if you can bring someone in to compete with Jalen Duncan at right tackle, you give them the redshirt year at right tackle, and then move him over the next year. I completely think that that's possible. Huge Jalen Duncan fan. He's a guy that I like. Um... The person that I'm not as high as you are is Darnell Wright. I'm not sure that he's a great scheme fit. I think that he's, because of his size and his build, I think that he kind of profiles more out as a run-first type of tackle, and I think that the Chiefs have a lot of that. I, I don't know that I want to see an offensive line next year with Orlando Brown on the left side and Darnell Wright on the right side. I just feel like that makes them pretty exposed to speed rush, something that they face quite a bit in this division. And it's not going to get any better, right? You know, Von Miller will come back for the Buffalo Bills. There's still a lot of great pass rushers in the AFC, Max Crosby, etc. cetera. So um, th- that would be my only complaint. But overall, I, to me, the way that I look at this, there are four tackles that are definitive day one guy, or uh, round one guys. And then it starts getting to your Anton Harrison, Ma- uh, Matthew Bergeron, Jalen Duncan. Um, you know, there's shades of Cody Mock in there sometimes. I, I don't think he's a tackle but there's four definitive day one round one guys, and then you can kind of start picking your favorite flavor. And for me, Jalen Duncan's got that skill set that just makes a lot of sense for the Chiefs.
1: I do find a little a little I'll push back a little bit on the Darnell Wright being a run first tackle in the sense that they played in a very proficient passing offense with Hendon Hook at quarterback and the deep ball to to you know to uh, Jalen Hyatt. And Cedric Tillman, which are both probably going to be top three draft picks at the wide receiver position this year, Um, but you know that's why we're here to list our opinions and to defend them and to talk and talk them through. And so, but that would be my only pushback on the on the Darnell Wright.
2: Yeah, and I mean, like you said, there you know that offense was you know one of the best offenses in college football this year. Um, You know, I, I think still probably more right tackle for him than left tackle. And, um, you know, maybe maybe your plan is to extend Orlando Brown and to keep Darnell right there, and he's your, he's your right tackle guy. To me, the the problem with that scenario is, and, you know, going back, like Hennon Hooker was a very mobile quarterback as well, right? So there was that element of their game that did play a part in it, the threat of the run. We've seen what that can do. He's not Lamar Jackson-level mobile, but it does it does help the tackles, you know, coming from Orlando Brown from that system as well. I just – I'm not sure that I want the ceiling for the Chiefs pass – Tack or you know passing game with tackles to be Orlando Brown on the left side and Darnell Wright on the right side, um, but you know we're we're splitting hairs here. I'm not going to come home and like punch my pillow if Darnell Wright you know the call at number thirty-one for the Chiefs.
1: Yep, yep, fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right, well, so all right, Nate, hit us with your offensive tackles. Who you got, man?
3: Yeah, um just overall thoughts on the tackle class. It's just not that good. Like I, I was kind of looking at some of the history today. It's probably the weakest since like two thousand nineteen. Like I don't think there's even anyone as talented as like Tristan Worfs in this class. And he was like the fifth ta- or fourth tackle taken in like two thousand twenty. Uh, but overall my board I have Peter Skrunsky won the tackle from Northwestern. I I honestly wouldn't have him as high versus some of the tackles the past few drafts. I do have more questions about him. But he's just, I just, when I watch him, he's just the best tackle. I think he combines all the traits. Um, I am a stickler for length for the most part, but um, with Skrunsky, I think he's going to be able to like manage that and overcome that. Everything else is so clean with him. Uh, So to me, like, I don't really have huge concerns about that, but still, I don't, I'm not like super high on him either. I would not take him in the top 15 if I was one of those teams in the top 15. I don't think I would take him there. Number two, I have Paris Johnson Jr. And kind of the same thing with Skarinski, I gave Paris Johnson a good grade, but I still wasn't like uber impressed with him. He's probably the tackle with like all, like a little bit of everything, I would say. Like he has good length, good mobility, good athleticism, but like nothing really stands out. Um, I didn't love him as a run blocker. I'm kind of worried about his functional strength going forward, but he's the player with a lot of experience and like a true passing offense like Ohio State. So He's probably the one guy day one that will be able to handle one-on-one pass protection compared to everyone else in this class because college football just doesn't have that often. Three, I have Anton Harrison, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma. Um, I just really enjoyed watching him. I'm, I might be a little bit higher on him, but like he's a very, very good run blocker, good mover in space, like good patience. Um, I, I think he kind of you know very powerful, good length. Um, I think he'd actually make a lot of sense for Kansas City. Uh, probably a left tackle mainly, but he uh, comes from that Oklahoma scheme, so similar to Orlando Brown. So if there is something that happens with Orlando Brown, I think Anton Harrison makes sense. Um, I really enjoyed his film. I actually think he's quite good. I need to watch it a little bit more before I finalize it, but I've enjoyed what I've seen out of him so far. Four, I have Darnell Wright. Um, there's so much natural talent out there. I mean, he is so explosive. How he gets out of the stances so well. And, yes, there are some, like, technical errors right now, but, like, the just movement skills are just outstanding. And while, like, there are things he needs to clean up that do concern me, he handled Will Anderson, he handled Brenton Cox, Harold Parkins, B.J. O'Jolari, he handled them all pretty well. So coming from his background as, like, a huge recruit coming out and then, you know, kind of struggling, but then finding some of those ways last year, if you just get him in a system with a good offensive line coach, I think he's going to thrive because there's just so much talent there. And then fifth, I also have Jalen Duncan. Um, I think he's probably the best athlete at offensive tackle in this class, at least from what I've seen so far. At least also if you combine like size and like explosiveness, I think he brings like all the traits. Um, I do think he needs a year. Personally, I don't know if I would feel comfortable starting in year one, but I do like how he has right and left tackle experience. So maybe you were able to find him on one side. and He can go to the other side next year. Personally, I would like to have him have a year off, just kind of learn uh, you know, technique and stuff like that. It's nothing like functionally with his body that concerns me. And that's always like the big thing with me for offensive tackles, is like, okay, we can fix technique. We can fix those certain things with the offensive line coach. Is there specific traits that like you're not explosive at the stance, you're stiff in your hips, you don't take on power well? Those things concern me more. And Jalen Loken I'm not concerned about any of those things. So for me, I have probably a little bit higher. Um, I don't know if I'd take him around one, but I, I did enjoy Jalen Duncan.
4: All right, let's get into the scouting combine here. Andy Reid and Brett Veach, they're scheduled to talk. Actually, every head coach and GM talks the first couple of days of the combine here on Tuesday and Wednesday. So we got Andy Reid and Brett Beach on uh, what was Tuesday. You want to listen to the full uncut press conference we have avail- available for you at from the podium, thanks to the, the good work of Steve. I really put Steve to work here today because we have the top 10 <laughs> nuggets from the combine pressers. I, I, Steve would tell you, we're not going to bring him back on, but he would tell you, I, I apologize in advance about the extra work that I gave him today. But it puts us in a good position to really talk about some of the things that we heard that were important and significant about this team and its future moving forward. The first one was Andy Reid on Eric Bieniemy, who, of course, is now the assistant head coach and offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. Here's Andy Reid.
5: Yeah, so I'm so happy for E.B. to have a a chance to put his name on an offense, and this is his now. You know, he's he's working for Ron Rivera, who's a dear friend, and um, uh, and a def, you know more of a defensive head coach than offensive head coach. So this allows E.B. to do his thing, and and uh, I'm happy for him. I you know I wish and I'm, I'm wishing him luck with that. I'm also wishing him luck going forward. You know, I, obviously. We're trying to get him to become a head coach. It didn't work out that way, uh, but it, that's not, you know, it's not over yet. So uh, I think he's going to do do a heck of a job here and really uh, be able to show his personality within the within the offense.
4: You know, this was my design. I, I mean, I I see it, and I I wonder if the fans see it. And I'll I'll tell you what I mean. Eric Bieniemy went on Adam Schefter's podcast and. Uh, he detailed the conversation that he had with Coach Reed. It was between them two. He said that no other coach knew that they identified ahead of 2022 that this was going to be his last season. This is something that I think the writing was on the wall. I had said it a number of times mm-hmm. on our podcast and on the, the radio hits and, and whatnot, that I, I didn't see a scenario in which enemy was back. And there was no better sign to me, John, than the fact that he was tied to John Harbaugh and Ron Rivera. Harbaugh ended up going with a different candidate uh, for his offensive coordinator position uh, ends up getting with, with Ron Rivera. But the commonality there is these are Andy Reed's boys. Mm-hmm. So Andy, Reed, yeah. Andy Reed was having conversations with Ron Rivera, I think maybe as early as the beginning of last season. I don't know that for sure. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, the conversations happened at a certain point. Andy Reed is the same guy who got Doug Peterson, that head coach job in Philadelphia. <laughs> by talking to <laughs> yeah. the owners you don't think he was talking to Ron Rivera i think there were bugs in Rivera's ear there were bugs in Harbaugh's ear and to andy's credit and again this is speculation but i'm i'm going to credit him with it he he was saying all year we're going to make sure my boy if he cannot get a head coach job has a clear cut path to mm-hmm. an offensive head coach job like they have it's the reverse of Kansas City where you have Ron Rivera as a defensive head coach uh, where where Eric enemy gets to run the offense, pick his staff. Same thing with mm-hmm. Steve Spagnolo here in Kansas City. Andy Reid, of course, is involved in the defense, but he largely lets Steve do his thing. And now Bieniemy, mm-hmm. there will be no questions in Washington, which will be a bigger challenge because of the personnel, but no question in Washington who's running the show on that side of the ball.
6: I think there was a lot of subtext in Andy Reid's statement that Ron Rivera is an old friend. I mean, that was just dripping with additional meaning in this particular uh, nugget from the presser yesterday. I think you're exactly right. I think this is one of those things that Andy Reid was talking about with his friends with whom he regularly speaks. Ron Rivera is one of those people. So is John Harbaugh. And there's several other people around the league, uh, perhaps not head coaches who'd be in a position to hire a coordinator, but people inside other organizations with whom Andy could speak and say, look, we need to figure this out. We need to find a place for EB to go so that he can get this monkey off his back and make some kind of a move forward, even if it starts as a sideways move. I I, I agree. I think this was the plan all along. And I'm very happy that they've figured out a way uh, to get him off the schneid. You know, this has been a, a long time thing that's I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of worrying about it. I'm tired of arguing about why he hasn't become a head coach. It doesn't matter now. He's got a whole other approach to it now, and we'll see where it goes from here. So I'm I'm real happy for him, just like the head coach.
4: It creates so many storylines. That's a tough division to play in the, the NFC East. Oh, yeah. You now um, also have two games a year where it's Commander's Giants, and you got Mike Kafka and E B going mm-hmm. after each other as far as offense versus versus offense. In, in those circumstances, you got the NFC champions in that division and the Dallas Cowboys team who is always hungry and loading up because they don't take years off. They, there's no rebuilding in Dallas. They try to, they try to do it every year. So tough division to, 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 to be in. The good thing about that is, Hey, you get Washington to the playoffs might be just a one year stint. I mean, it might be that quick. Mm-hmm. For them, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Matt Nagy is now in in the vacant offensive coordinator position here was Andy Reid on Matt Nagy
5: um, yeah I've worked on you know staff things uh, Herbie mentioned uh, Matt Nagy and so uh, I, there's a process you have to go through and and talk to people and interview people and, and so that's what I did and um, you know between Pep Hamilton who was phenomenal Marcus Brady phenomenal <laughs> and then uh, you know, our, our own guy, Matt Nagy, that was here, um, phenomenal interviews and just talking football is incredible. I mean, I got to do this for a good week and, uh, I enjoyed every minute of it and uh, it just tells me that the league's in good hands. We, we've got some good coaches out there and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah.
4: So there was a behind the scenes interview process, uh, Houston Texans offensive coordinator, in 2022 pep hamilton and senior offensive assistant offensive consultant of the eagles i'm sorry marcus brady there it is uh interviewed for this job it was always going to matt Nagy, and right andy Reid went through interviews but this was never a question if you listen to the editor show i know that reports have come out after the super bowl that matt the next head coach if you listen to the editor show you knew that 13 months ago i told you the guys that um But here you have, I think, the continuation of what will be the plan in Kansas City, which was Matt Nagy is going to be here for as long as it takes under Andy Reid, similar to a Josh McDaniel situation where the head coach eventually actually retires uh, in New England, (laughs) and then he will take over as head coach somewhere down the road. As a reminder, Andy Reid's contract runs through 2025. I don't know if that will necessarily be the end. That will be, I think – a decision point for reed where Mm -hmm. he'll determine how many more years he wants to go but i think this is i think this is the head coach and offensive coordinator indefinitely john i i really feel that way uh i don't think there's going to be any changes until andy reed retires that's just how i feel here
6: i think there's a good chance that's the way it plays out what struck me about uh this particular comment from andy reed was find me another person Uh, You think about this for yourself, Pete, and and, uh, if you're listening at home, think about employers that you've had. If they would uh, talk about spending a week interviewing people, (laughs) if they would come out of it happy. (laughs) <laughs> like andy right. reed was i had such a good time talking football <laughs> yeah. with these guys oh boy it was great it was well, just great i don't know anybody it, that thinks interviews are fun
4: <laughs> the powers that be and sb nation last year gave me that opportunity to, to expand the staff with a lot of new staff members that was a tedious process i yeah. love talking about football writing and i love hearing about people's stories and whatever it takes a long time but you're right yeah. andy reed just just is like all right this is fun i love talking football this is what i want to do it's like you're supposed to be away from the office this is probably making you stay in the office at this point and you're happy about it but yeah we all knew what was happening matt naggy is now the offensive coordinator of the chiefs for 2023 david gerardi is now the quarterbacks coach here were reed's comments on that
5: yeah so dave would be um yeah i'll announce end up announcing that here uh well i guess i'm doing it right here herbie so, yeah, David will work into that. Again, I went through an interview process there. So it's uh, uh, Bush Hampton from Boise State was one of the guys I talked to. Again, he's at the college level. He had been with the Falcons at the college level, but, um, you know, college football uh, is in good hands with him. So Boise State, I'm happy for them. But, you know, so but he, he's the, the natural fit in there, and that's, that's what he'll be doing, yeah.
4: So David Girardi is now the the quarterback's coach. He had been what was called the, the pass game coordinator for the Chiefs. This is somebody that Andy Reid has mentioned here and there a few times when it comes to these crafty plays, when they have one of these unique plays that no one has ever really seen before. Sometimes it's asked in the press conference after the game. At times, he'll mention Andy Heck. The enemy was one of them. Girardi was another.
7: Mm-hmm, and so yeah. this,
4: I believe... The train had kind of stopped for a while because of this enemy bottlenecking right. thing where he just was waiting to become a head coach. I think this is now the continuation of the Andy Reid process where he tries to to help his his coordinators and assistants get get bigger jobs uh, both here and elsewhere.
6: Well, if you're right, that that uh the, where we're headed with this is that Andy Reid and. Matt Nagy will be the the head coach and offensive coordinator for a period of time until Reed retires. What this means is is that Girardi is gonna be the offensive coordinator under Nagy. I mean, that's the op you know, that's the way that Andy right. Reed would set this up, you know. Right. And uh now, now he might have a different idea when he becomes the head coach, but that's what Andy is putting in place here.
4: Yeah, yeah, I I believe that. And who knows if the Chiefs continue to have as much success as they have had, which is continuing to go to the AFC title game all these years in a row, if that streak were to continue a year or two, you know, might become a situation where Girardi has to go to the Mike Kafka mm-hmm. route and become an OC elsewhere. So we'll see how right. it mm-hmm. all transpires. I think ideally for Chiefs fans, Girardi will last until Nagy's no, ready to become the head coach. We'll, we'll see how it, how it goes. All right, let's get into some of the, the nitty gritty about this year's team. And I think the off season questions about this team starts with the franchise tag, which the window is now open and the likely candidate for the chiefs. And I think it's even more than likely the definite candidate for the (laughs) chiefs is left tackle Orlando Brown jr. Here was Brett beach on Orlando Brown jr.
8: Yeah. I mean, it's an option that, you know, we went through this um, path last year and as always Herbie, you you know, it's more beneficial for us to to get something done long-term and, you know, that's why this, this season is so important for us. And, and really, this is the start. I mean, we'll have a lot of dialogue. You know, as you know, I mean, the Combine's great to come in here and check out the new college uh, talent, but a lot of the time here we're spent talking with the agents of our players. So, start exchanging information now. Uh, unlike last year, I think we have at least a, a runway to work with. And, you know, we, we've gotten to know his team a little bit better. So, you know, we're excited to get that process started here, and hopefully we can get something figured out.
4: So, John, you've been on, on, on the pulse of the, the franchise tag stuff. And I believe you were you were in last week when the window opened, and I was out. And you wrote mm-hmm. uh, wrote up the article on Brown, so you got the contract stuff as well. Uh, this franchise tag is happening. It would be in the Chiefs' benefit to actually figure out a contract, a long term contract this this time around, right?
6: Yeah, I mean you 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 have to assume that in any contract that comes out the first year cap hit is going to be something less than what the franchise tag is. Maybe right. not a lot. If the intelligent, uh, if the contract is constructed intelligently, which I think it would be uh, if it comes out of Brett Beach's uh, wing of the building. Um, but it's going to be a cap relief thing for the chiefs. And then there's the additional problem that if, if they're going to put the franchise tag on him, uh, before the 7th of March, just six days from now as we speak, uh, they have to create something around $20 million in cap space because the minute he the, – the, on the, at the beginning of the league year, uh, he's going to need that space that the Chiefs don't have in right. order to be on the franchise tag. So I think there is a fairly good chance – that they're going to get this figured out before the franchise tag deadline. Wow. Uh, but if I, I, and I, and I think that was kind of the subtext of what beach was saying there is we've got a little runway now that we didn't have last year when Brown was representing himself. There's no agent involved. Yeah. They've gotten to know the guy a little bit. They've talked a little bit over the course of the year and they've both sides, You know, I wrote an article about this last year when it was all over. Both sides did exactly what you would expect them to do. They did right by their perspective um, sides of the argument. And I think they've both had a chance to think about it now and think about, okay, what is it we could have done a year ago that would have made this deal happen? And, uh, you know, I don't think it'll take them long to figure out if they're close. And if they're close, I think they'll make a deal. And if they're not, then we're talking about the franchise tag and, you know, a repeat of what we went through last year, which hopefully doesn't end with Orlando Brown Jr. missing a lot of time in well, uh, in the offseason and the training camp. It just needs to be
4: a, a situation where both sides bend a little bit,
6: mm-hmm. right?
4: Yeah. A- yeah. As the final offer came out last year, Red Beach was sneaking in a final bloated year to pump up the average. Sure. And the representation was, it seemed like asking for far too much for the quality of, of Brown's play over a season's time. Now, he was really good in the second half. Pro Football Focus has noted that he was good in the playoffs. We all know about the zero sacks, putting, put it on a you-know-what t-shirt, and uh, he wore that to the parade in the Super Bowl. I think there's a number here where both sides bend a little bit and they can be in a happy place Mm -hmm. but if if they have the same attitudes as they did last year this is a franchise tag thing that's going to happen again and I don't I don't know I, I think Brown has to be careful here though because I don't think it's past Brett Veach to tag him and then trade him and I think he wants to be here so you just hope that that conversation between Veach and now the agent that he has, Michael Portnoy, I mean, it's, it's him being very clear. Like the chiefs have that option. And mm-hmm. yeah. again, not to say that left tackles are just a dime a dozen. That's a little bit of a risk in a way for the chiefs because Brown, though not elite is, is good. And he, he was above average again in the second half of the season and in the playoffs. And now you're risking the, the blind side of the, the only thing that matters here in Kansas city, when it comes to winning championships as the quarterback. So interesting little situation. I, I think if you're a Chiefs fan, you got to hope that there's some bending on both sides,
7: mm-hmm.
4: you know, Brown is an elite and we know that, but he's pretty, pretty darn good. And
6: I, I think yeah. that's how we felt
4: about Eric Fisher too.
6: Right. right.
4: So it's just right. finding the proper value <laughs> for what that is.
6: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's one of the things that's amusing about this is that people have gotten themselves, uh so worked up about not paying him more than he's worth that we're losing sight of the big picture here and and that is he's probably better than anybody the chiefs can get mm-hmm. uh for any kind of reasonable price uh in the short term this year just as was the case last year and i think the chiefs want orlando brown to stay too i think they like him i think they fit He fits with the other players on the on the offensive line. That counts for a lot with Andy Reid and Andy Heck. And I I think they really want him to stay. So you've got two sides here that ought to be well motivated to make this happen. It's just a question of you know whether they can get that the money thing to work. And they've had you know eight months to work on it, to think about it, and come up with an approach that they can agree upon. So I think they're going to make it happen eventually. Maybe even before the fifteenth of March. Not that this
4: matters when, you know, you're talking about millions of dollars of Uncle Clark's money. But Orlando is a highly criticized player. And whenever I ask him for anything, could be, you know, another defensive player that happened a couple of times this year talking smack and got to get a quote from the offensive line. Orlando's very willing to just come up. I mean, again, he, especially in the beginning of the year, he wasn't playing that well. And a lot of times players can kind of hide away, especially during the week. It's hard to hide after the game. And Brown, was, you know, he does, you know, he comes up, he talks to you, he understands, like, okay, yeah, I need to play better, and I, I appreciate that. Again, I'm not, I'm not conditioning mm-hmm. out twenty million dollars a year for him. All right, Andy Reid also <laughs> spoke about Frank Clark, who is another player who is in a interesting scenario when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's Andy Reid.
5: Yeah, so um, I actually talked to him uh, uh, at the parade, so that's where I ended up talking to. Him. Um, he had to do some stuff for the actual exit physical, but I had a good good talk with him. I love Frank Clark. Um, it's just you know, Veach has got to juggle all these different different things going on, and uh, but um, you know, Frank is uh, he's top notch, top notch guy. I love him, love him to death.
4: So Andy Reid loves frank clark he says and mean mentioned brett Veach. well what did brett Veach have to say about frank clark
8: yeah i mean we'll probably to a certain extent need some cap space but you know we have a long history with him and his agent too so he'll be one of the many conversations we have this week and look forward to getting with him and seeing if we can work something out that makes sense for for both parties
4: john the cap hit on frank clark is twenty eight six seven five. feels like Mm -hmm. it, it might be might be too much to to take on this year
6: well yeah i think so and i i think that um uh, if you I was just going to say that going into the Super Bowl, the number of people who are Kansas City Chiefs fans who would have predicted that Frank Clark would be back for this coming season was pretty low. It was a non zero number, but it's pretty low. And I think that number is a lot higher now. <laughs> and it's funny well, that it just a- took one game for that to happen. <laughs> He somehow reverted back to the 2019
4: version of uh-huh. himself at yeah. different points this year, right? You had yeah. that San Francisco uh-huh. game, and then really the end of the season into the postseason, he was really good. And you could tell that the players were feeding off that energy a little
6: bit, right? But mm-hmm. it is
4: it is that interesting question of, well, if we commit another two, three years to you Frank are we going to get that effort i mean it seems like we are mm-hmm. right yeah. how will, mm-hmm. how old is he here we have he's going to be 31 in 2024 i mean i think the most you can probably give him is two years right i mean Brad mm-hmm. Beach doesn't give out these type of contracts what do you think
6: no i agree i think i think it'd be silly to give him more than a couple of years but they including this year maybe even i mean you you could make an argument that the right thing to do was to give to extend his contract just one more year and figure out a way to bring his cap hit down, you know, I don't know, $10 million or so this year. And and make it a kind of a reasonable contract for what would probably be his final season in Kansas City. I just think it's interesting that uh, people have completely changed their tune about Frank Clark uh, on the basis of one ball game. But, you know, that was always the thing uh, after the 2019 season. That was always the thing that we knew about him. Yeah. was he was spectacular in the playoffs and in the super bowl and and that was his value to the team and um you know if, if the chiefs are going to be a team that's going to be in the afc championship and possibly in the super bowl on a regular basis you know what that matters
7: other other position on the on the offense that that is worth discussing here wide receiver because i do think this is i kind of tweeted this out today but there's just it's easy as football fans as general football fans you know you grow up you kind of learn the game and you kind of know that there's these you know different you know there's the x receiver there's a z receiver there's the slot receiver there's the you know there's the f there's the y and we'll talk about that in a second but the Chiefs don't really care about that, do they? Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's never really been something they truly, you know, they don't line up in their, in these traditional sets where, yeah, you know, one guy is always the X, one guy is always the Z, that kind of thing. So how much should we care about it as we evaluate the draft? Um, you know, how much, you know, do you eliminate players because maybe they're 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 one-dimensional? Um, you know, are there any guys you can think of that maybe you, you know, aren't, you know, that you wouldn't draft because they're maybe too one-dimensional? Are there guys that... You know, you would draft specifically because they're so versatile. You know, I, we talked about a few of them on, on the AP film room last night. So I don't know, just, just what do you think about the receiver position? How important is it to be, you know, more than just a, just one single thing?
3: Well, I can tell you, Andy Reid and Brett Veach really value it. Cause if you listen to any Brett Veach interview, I, he did this on a pro football talk the other day. He mentioned it on Pat McAfee's show. He believes in positionless kind of wide receivers, um, I'm actually going to write about that a little bit later this off season with how I, th- I think that's where the NFL is going right now uh, with like teams like the 49ers and the chiefs. Um, but yeah, no, it's everything for the chiefs. They, if you kind of go back to, since the Patrick Mahomes era, every kind of receiver they've signed is either, or drafted is either a slot like vertical guy or a guy who could play multiple positions. Even Sammy Watkins, Sammy Watkins was more of an X, but they moved him around quite a bit. he would sometimes play in the slot. Like, that's just the big thing for Andy Reid's offense. Like every receiver talks about having to learn all these different roles. I think that's the main reason why we didn't see Sky Moore on the field this year because that's how Andy Reid gains advantages on defense is, is kind of tricking you with like personnel right. emotion so that he can kind of get like an identification of like your rules and stuff. Um, to talk about some, ga- to be honest with you, I don't think this class has a lot of those guys, which makes it yeah. kind of disappointing. Like, well, like Quentin Johnston. I like Quentin Johnston, but that dude's I just an X. He's just right. an X. So I don't think he's so, me, going to so, be on the, so Yeah, go ahead.
7: Yeah, so let me ask you, like, do you, like, would you even trade up for,
3: like, Is if yeah. he,
7: even if he pulls into your lap, like, are you, is he even a, a target on your board because of that?
3: Um, For me, yes. Tough, I don't think right? he is for the Chiefs because. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, that for the Chiefs, I don't think so because I think he's just an X, which is not a criticism of him. Like, some offense will take in and do well with him. But I just don't think that's something Andy Reid really cares about um, in his offense. He just wants guys who can do a lot of different spots. I wrote down a couple names, but like none of these names are great. We we talked about Kayshawn Butte last night, uh, yeah. the wide receiver from LSU. I think he kind of fits that prototype. Uh, Jaden Reed from Michigan State I think would kind of fit that prototype. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched too much of him, but Parker Washington from Penn State I think is someone that could potentially fill that. I said Zay Flowers, although he might be yes. more just a slot, but... You can move slots around, too. Like, you can do a bunch of things formationally. Um, I I said Jordan Addison, too. That was kind of the last name I had written down. I don't know if you have any more. I think those are, like, the five guys that would make the most sense for the Chiefs That when I was looking through my list of guys who could kind of fit different positional types. Because I I just genuinely believe if you listen to Andy and Brett Beach, that is, like, the biggest thing they care about.
7: Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Parker Washington. He's someone that I watched in – you know, I was kind of I was kind of joking with you guys yesterday. I'm like, I just keep running into these these shorter, you know, small <laughs> slot receivers. And I'm just like, there's so many of them in this class. Mm-hmm. But he was actually one of them that that did a little more in terms of you know breaking tackles after the catch, you know, kind of just being, you know, a little tougher to, to you know, tougher to bring down, maybe some tougher catches. So he is an interesting one, someone that I don't think gets talked about quite a bit. He was a true junior, too. So he's a young prospect. Um, but he he did play quite a bit as a true freshman. So that's an interesting one, but yeah, no, I, I, I just, I think it's interesting because yeah, I'm glad you brought up Quentin Johnston, but there are even other guys maybe in this class, you know, if you, if you look that, you know, could be just kind of more traditional X's and if they can't give you more than that, they're not going to be on the chiefs board, no matter how much you like them. And I just, I say that because as a, as a draft evaluator, I think it's it's always easy to fall for those guys, right? Always right. the bigger guys that go up and get some, you know, George Pickens last year. I think he's a little more <laughs> than just only an X, but at the same time, I love me some George Pickens. And you know, maybe there's a reason they literally traded back away from you know having you know having the ability to pick him and then still chose someone else, you know, when they had the opportunity. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting. But let's move ahead to running backs because that's one where I haven't really dove into the running back class this year. But I don't think we need to talk about the names, but just what kind of running back do you think they need to add? Because they don't have Derek McKinnon, they don't have Ronald Jones back who didn't really have much of an impact anyway. You could argue, you know, Clyde, who knows if he's even going to be on the team. I think he still is around next year, but I, you know, I, I agree. I, I could see there's a way, you know, maybe he doesn't have a big role. What kind of running back, what kind of skills, traits are you looking for in a running back to add to this room?
3: Yeah, I struggled with this too. I, I the kind of like traits I wrote down was dynamic ability and open space, I think mm-hmm. is the one thing we're missing. I don't think, I know Pacheco's really, really fast. But I don't think he's really dynamic in open space in terms of, like, missing tackles and stuff. I'd agree,
7: yeah.
3: Um, And I like Jerick McKinnon a lot. I want Jerick McKinnon back. By the time the playoffs came, his juice was gone. Um, Maybe the Chiefs try and load manage him a little bit next year. um, Try and keep. They did that in 2021, right? Like, he didn't play until, like, week 17 or whatever. It would probably make sense for the Chiefs to do that again because I do think he was pretty gassed by the end of the season the thing I wrote down was just kind of ability to maybe catch out of the backfield, but just be a little more dynamic in open space. But I, I I didn't write down like a three down running back. Cause I don't really think they need that. I just think they need someone that can kind of break tackles in the open field. What what do you think?
7: Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I would definitely say someone that can pass protect Um, mm-hmm. because, and, and you know, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with being nowadays. I mean, if you're going to be, if you're going to be on third downs and, and catch the ball, you have to be able to pass protect as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'd agree with what you what you say. You definitely don't need someone that has to be on the field all three downs, Someone that maybe is is great in between the tackles, you know, reading, you know, reading boxes, you know, running uh, zone zone runs because, mm-hmm. you know, he should be more on on the pass downs. And I don't think it's it's not that Pacheco can't develop into into a three down back that can do that pass down stuff. It's more that you just you just don't want to put the wear and tear on, on a guy, right. like that, especially, you know, you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, reserving McKinnon. But, you know reserving pacheco is going to be more and more important as it goes on especially because this last year he didn't you know he wasn't the starter the whole season he still doesn't know exactly what it's like to have a full season of wear and tear on the tires so mm-hmm. yeah i i agree with you just someone that can can catch the ball out of the backfield you know be you know make someone miss an open space because a lot of the times with with the chief's offense you know you you get a guy in the flat and so he just has to make the guy miss you know and all of a sudden there's 10 15 yards and you know we had some running backs that could do that we've had some running backs that couldn't uh, the last few years so be nice to get someone that could and and this running back glasses we're going to have some guys towards the end that are going to be intriguing in that way um but let's move to tight ends because this is kind of in the same vein where I haven't gotten too much into the tight ends this year but it's just interesting to kind of think about the tight end position with Travis Kelsey with Noah Gray with Jody Fortson still you know in the mix and and still you know should be on the roster next year but I don't know do they need to find is, is there any you know, uh, advantage they can get by finding maybe a a better player, uh, to kind of be behind Kelsey. Should they be trying to find someone that can replace him, you know, be Kelsey. And we kind of talk about, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, there's these traditional Y tight ends and then there's the F tight end or H back kind of that moves around, maybe is more off ball and can, you know, and and maybe is, you know, just more of a, you know, can be used as a fullback sometimes and a slot receiver other times. I don't know, what do you think kind of tight end they need to be attacking? Is there do you think there is a preference or should they just kind of it, it, do they need to even worry about what kind of tight end they're getting?
3: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Chiefs draft tight end high. I don't this has kind of been my thing about tight ends. I, I see a lot of mocks like Michael Mayer or Darnell Washington going to Chiefs. I don't think they're Chiefs targets because I just don't see a lot of utility in Andy Reid's offense for a true wide tight end. Like I, I'm trying I don't remember them ever really using one in the past 10 years, like Demetrius Harris, wasn't even really a why Anthony Pisano, like no, um, like Blake Bell, like those guys are mainly just used as blocking tight ends. Obviously right. Andy Reed can adapt and change his offense, but the chiefs kind of use a Y tight end by committee. So like Noah Gray will sometimes be why Jody Fortson, Blake Bell, Travis Kelsey. To me, if I'm drafting a tight end, I want to move tight end. I want a guy who can kind of win around the formation a little bit more. Yeah. I, I don't think Michael Meyer or Washington's bad prospects, but those guys are to me are just inline tight ends. Those are guys that fit like a more running scheme than what the chiefs do. I don't think they're guys that I would put in the slot and have them win on routes. So that kind of puts you in, we'll, we'll talk about some guys, but to me, I just think there's more utility in a wide tight or an F tight end and move tight end. Cause mm-hmm. it also limits Travis Kelsey snaps. And that's a big deal. Arnold Washington will not limit Travis Kelsey snaps.
7: Yeah, no, that, that that's a good point. And, and that's going to need to continue to, you know, need to happen right. more and more as time goes on. I mean, you know, it, it's why you saw, you know, there were times last year Noah Gray was playing 60 plus percent of the snaps yeah. for a game because not only was he, you know, the second tight end, they used those quite a bit. He was just spelling Kelsey on a lot of solo, you know, single tight end sets. But yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm with you, especially when you just kind of consider, you know, that you know, when you think about kind of the tight end group now, they're using it more and more. I kind of just mentioned they use a lot of uh, multi tight end sets, but a lot of three tight end sets, too. That could just be a new wave of, of NFL, you know, and we've oh, kind yeah, of seen these, of these cycles. But it's just one thing that they they have the capability to run from those formations. But imagine if they actually had a legit guy instead of Noah Gray or Jody Fortson, which, hey, you know, love you guys. You guys are great. But, you know, I think you have maybe someone that that could be maybe, sure. a, a, you know, a higher ceiling prospect in that in that sense hmm.
3: Yeah, no, for sure. And, and if I'm not like I think Darnell Washington and Michael Meyer are fine prospects. I just don't think their utility in Kansas City really makes sense. And I don't think those are guys that would be high in the Chiefs' sport. Dalton Kincaid, the guy from Utah, mm-hmm. or Luke Musgrave, the tight end from uh, Oregon State, Though, or Sam LaPorta, that's probably a day two guy from Iowa. Those are guys that line up a little more. They have more formational ver- versatility. That, that's a big deal for me when I'm watching tight ends right um is that versatility and I think that's a big deal for Andy Reid's offense so I don't I wouldn't be surprised if Chiefs took a tight end early but I would be very surprised if the Chiefs took a wide tight end early an inline tight end
7: well yeah and, and even if you think about like how Noah Gray's played and how he's kind of in that Blake Bell where you could mm-hmm. say he he does have to be more of an inline tight end a lot of times who was Noah Gray coming out he was this fullback h-back right. guy that that we all were like oh are they going to use him as the fullback sometimes mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I I think that just shows you that they're never really going to be valuing that Y tight end, that traditional Y too much. All right. Well, we should kick it to break. But just before we do, I want to get to the weekly segment, Nate. I'm, I'm ready to get to it. So alarm bells are going off. Prospect of the week. Here we go.
1: Hey, prospect.
7: We have other prospects.
1: Prospect
5: of the week.
7: This is our recurring segment on the show where we are just going to try to guess as many Chiefs draft picks as possible. Last week, I chose Wisconsin defensive tackle Keanu Benton, Caleb James, who jo- who joined me. He chose Iowa State edge rusher Will McDonald, the fourth, who had a pretty good combine day today. So, and not surprisingly, but yeah, Nate, I'm gonna let you go first. Who is your prospect of the week?
3: I think it's Derek Hall, edge from Auburn. Um, hey. If you guys were following the tweets yesterday, Derek Hall had a formal interview with the Chiefs. And based off his presser, it sounds like it went quite well. The Chiefs were having him draw things on the board. Um, he is a Steve Spagnolo defensive end through and through. Uh, Caleb uh, and I were kind of talking. He does kind of remind me of Frank Clark, like a younger version. Hall is a little more lighter. Frank Clark was a legit 270 in Seattle. He's not anymore, but oh, wow. when, he was in Seattle. He was like 270 pounds. Hall, I believe, came in at 255 today. But they're both similar in the sense that they're, both, they're not really bendy. But they're both these explosive power rushers, quick pop in the hands. Just have a, has enough juice to where they can threaten the corner, even if they're not like super like flexible, like with mm-hmm. body control. They have enough juice to where they at least can threaten it, and they can build their game off of it. Last week I talked about Tyler Sheen, an offensive tackle from Alabama. Derek Hall was cooking him. He's cooking him with length. He's cooking him with power. If his interview went really well and he was like drawing things on the board, I think that's a target for the Chiefs. One thing this offseason, I do think they need to find their Frank Clark replacement. I think he'll be back next year, but I don't think he's – he's certainly not a long-term guy. He's 30 now. He's going he's gonna to be aging. He's had a lot of stomach injuries. Getting a guy who could at least kind of fit what the Chiefs theoretically thought of Frank Clark when they traded for him makes a lot of sense. I think he's a great scheme fit. I think he's a great tape fit. He uh, fit all the length requirements. I think the Chiefs are going to absolutely love him. And I think he's going to be right in the range there at 31. I don't think a team's going to take him above there. So what do you think about that?
7: Yeah, no, hey, Derek Hall is someone I I absolutely love. Um, Yeah, he's fun. Yeah, no, he's a guy that you first watch. And again, I was kind of telling you before the show, he was someone I was really interested to see at the combine because Mm -hmm. I could not tell how big he was. Um, He was just kind of one of those guys that plays – you know, pretty, you know, he again, he's not the the most bendy guy, you know, again, he he does pretty well at cornering, you know, he's more of a powerful guy, but at the same time, the way he moves, it it is hard to tell, shoot, is he, you know, is is he 250, is he 270, it's hard to tell, And he came in at 6'3", 255, but the arm length and the wingspan coupled with only being, you know, 6'3", isn't a a super tall edge, 255 Mm -hmm. isn't super big, but having that wingspan, that almost just puts the cherry on top, I really think that's the ideal body type, you know, not too tall. Um, but yeah. also not too short, but he still he still plays with really good leverage. So I love yeah. that pick. I definitely think he fits what the Chiefs want, right? Yeah,
3: and I I was just looking real quick to kind of compare like uh um Frank Clark and Derek Hall's combine. So Frank Clark was six foot three, two hundred and seventy-one pounds, thirty-four and three-eighth inch arms, which is basically the same as Derek Hall. Wow. Uh Frank Clark <laughs> ran a four-seven nine forty, Derek Hall ran oh, a four-five-seven. Jeez. uh clark was more explosive he ran a 38 and a half inch vertical versus Derek hall which is 33 and a half so that is a big difference broad jump was right under 10 feet for frank clark Derek halls was 10 foot 7 inches so they both they're, they're a little bit different but i when i watch yes. him on tape that's what i see a lot of i see a lot of seattle frank clark in him a little bit lighter but i actually think probably Derek Hall has a little bit more flexibility Mm-hmm. So to me, that would make a lot of sense. I think he fits the exact prototype what the chiefs need.
7: I love that pick. Um, and I'm going to stay in the trenches with mine because this is a guy that we actually on the AP film, when we looked at, and, and, you know, when I first watched him, I was just like, yeah, this guy's a really clean prospect, but the more you watch the rest of the offensive tackles, you're like, okay, actually this guy, yeah, he, he's, he is everything. He's got all of it. He's kind of got all the tools. That's Oklahoma offensive tackle, Anton Harrison. Um, he's their left tackle. He's, he, he came out after three seasons, but, definitely a guy that i just feel like you know you're coming into the nfl right away and you just have these sound fundamentals that you get to work from um you know he has you know the tucked elbows you know when he's engaging in pass protection he has you know the nimble feet but then he widens them when he when he gets you know when he's trying to catch a bull rush and you know he has the hand placement and he has the movement skills to get out in space and and, and latch onto a linebacker and, and drive him i mean he really does have it all the only thing is he's, he's missing power right he is missing a little bit of strength um, and and the thing is, these, these the sound fundamentals he has really does make up for it. A lot of times I mentioned, you know, the the catching bull rushes. I mean, you know, he he does a really good job of, yeah, you got a hop step back a couple times, but he's got those hands in, he's got them, he's got him gripped and he's, and he's got the legs wide and all of a sudden you're not going anywhere. I mean, he really does do a good job of just using, you know, sound, son, fundamental sound leverage, you know, in, in every aspect of his game. And I just really think it'd be a, a great uh, pick for the Chiefs, uh, you know, especially I know he's been a left tackle in college, but I really think he, tra- he could be a right tackle in the NFL, especially in the Chiefs system, you know, being on the front side of zone runs, you know, not only setting the edge, I think he could do that uh, with, you know, with good, uh, you know, footwork and just attacking at the end, but on the back side of zones as well, you know, kind of having that, that movement ability to cut off linebackers, a defensive lineman, and then also just being a good pass protector. I think he's a sound pass protector, so. And, and, and honestly, I will say, I, I guess the main thing is that I just didn't realize he was so lowly thought of. I mean, I just figured he was like a, a, a top, you know, 15, 20 kind of prospect maybe, but he doesn't really get mocked very high. And so I mm-hmm. think he is actually a realistic Chiefs option. And so I'm all about it. So those are our two prospects of the week. Anton Harrison, Derek Hall. If, if they somehow ended up with both of those, we would be very happy men. That would be an awesome draft. <laughs> yes, that's A plus right there.